Hi there, I'm Mark Ferguson and this is the Labourless Podcast. We're coming to you a day later than normal, the day after the final, not quite, debate. We'll be talking about Question Time and its controversial audience, as well as talking about what happened when Ed Miliband met Russell Brand, or Millibrand, as it seems that we are contractually obliged to call it. Joining me today is my good fellow, and in for Connor this week, he's up in Scotland, seeing the cybernaps face to face, we have Labourless contributing editor Emma Bunnell, who's with us for these final few days. So Emma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. It's great to have you here. I mean, it's obviously a shame that we've sent Connor to Scotland to watch uh, Cybernat shouting at him in real life, but, uh, you know. <laughs> well, it's always much more fun to be shouted at in real life. Than well, I, I think that's that's how very much how Connor feels about it. And obviously, if you want to know what Connor's time in Scotland was like, you can find out on Labourless in a couple of days. But I want to talk a little bit about the question time from last night. What did you make of it, Emma? Uh, it was a bit ferocious. From from all sides, um, the the audience were just very very angry. Um, I remember thinking about halfway through, one day someone's going to murder a politician, and we'll all be culpable because we're just building up this anti politics. Um, I think Ed took a bit of a battering, um, but then so did David Cameron. I think the only one who didn't, in many ways, was actually Nick Clegg, who just kind of seemed to laugh it all off. He seemed like a man who knows he's going to have a severe burden list in front of him in about a week's time. I mean, this is this is a man who recently went to a hedgehog sanctuary. I mean, he's basically doing a sort of elaborate leaving tour of nice stuff, Nick Clegg, really. And I imagine encounters with angry members of the electorate are a bit of a dampener on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember the that, that memo about Blair's lap of honour. And it sort of feels like that. But if Nick Clegg was a primary school teacher... <laughs> Uh, Maya, what did you make of last night? Um, yeah, I agree with Emma. I think that it showed people are very angry. And I think the thing that really ran through that whole quite painful hour and a half was that um, there's a lack of trust. I think people just don't believe anything any of them are saying. And I, I think Miliband actually handled himself quite well. I think he dealt with some pretty ferocious questioning as well as he could have. He, he came across as relatively honest in the, uh, you know, when you're up against an audience who basically don't believe a lot of what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, what can you do when, when there is that, that hostility towards politicians and people just aren't convinced that politics is uh, genuine and the politicians are genuine? I think it's, you're, you're always going to be, whoever, whoever is on that stage is going to be um, up for some kind of uh, attack. And, and and also when clearly there were members of the audience who came deliberately to attack Ed Miliband, some of yeah. them who were out and out Tories, and that's fine, a quarter of the audience were meant to be Conservative Party supporters. I mean, I'm not sure they were meant to be Conservative Party activists or student activists, but that seems fairly fair game. What troubled me is that someone said they were undecided, went and asked a question on that basis, but yet it turns out they signed the Tory small business letter mm. recently and set up a uh, business with a Tory MP. Mm. Now, it may well be that this person was genuinely undecided, but genuinely undecided small business people don't sign Tory activist letters to the Telegraph. Yeah, because you had to be part of the members area to actually get access to that letter as far as I'm aware. So, you know, there's quite a lot of 
hurdles to jump for a I genuine mean, I, independent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could sign up as a, quote, ordinary member of the public, but it was a very membership activist-focused yeah. strategy they they took to, to get people to sign that letter. And actually, that letter fell apart very quickly under yeah. scrutiny from Andrew Neil on, on the Daily Politics in particular, using... Um, analysis uh, amongst others drawn by the blog political scrapbook it all mm. untangled very quickly I think what was most frustrating about that as well is that the woman that you're talking about did get quite a lot of airtime. she really mm. was coming back to mm. and over again and she was setting the tone for that half an hour in many ways and I don't think that the audience would have by any means gone easier on him had she not started that all off but I do think in terms of setting it up the way that she set up that whole um, half an hour was particularly damaging. Um, so if, if that is the case, then it, it makes it much more worse, I think. And she came back in sort of repeatedly, so it wasn't like other members of the audience were saying, yes, I agree, and here's the additional bit of the attack. You know, it was this same woman just going, no, you're lying, and then no Ed Balls. And it, they were very, very scripted lines. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, look, my, my interest in this was peaked when I saw that a member of the audience had gone into the spin room, which just seemed a bit unusual to me, but more than that, a member of the audience had gone into the spin room, done a number of interviews, and seemingly, as reported by The Telegraph, giving George Osborne a thumbs up. Mm, Now, mm. that just just didn't sound right to me. I guess it's entirely possible that that there will be Labour supporters and perhaps even members in the audience as well. To be honest, if the Labour Party's done that, they deserve to get a bit of stick for it as well, because that wasn't the point. But mm. so far, and I would imagine the Tory Research Department or Guido or someone yeah, else exactly. would have found information. If they were there to be found, they'd have been found by now. You would you would certainly you would certainly think so. We're only a week until the end of the campaign now, so we can look back at a lot of the TV events that have already happened. Maya, what do you think of how the debates have shaped uh, this election, do you think they've been worthwhile? Um, well, I'm a massive debate skeptic, um, and it's hard. It's really hard to tell because we obviously all uh, pay close attention to politics. Our work is so closely tied to following what Ed Miliband is doing and what the rest of the politicians are up to. Um, and I know speaking to a couple of my friends at home who aren't interested in politics at all, they've been watching the debates. So I think that is a sign that people are paying some kind of attention. And I think they've, they've been good for Miliband. You know, even that debate with the, um, with, uh, where, it, where it was the, the five, five of them, was it? With Sturgeon. The Challenger debates. The Challenger debates, exactly. Um, he, even then, he did relatively well. And I think that airtime has actually done him good. So, um, although I am, in general, a sceptic on debates, uh, on these kinds of debates at least, I think, uh, yeah, they, they've worked in Miliband's favour to a degree. I mean, the, the thing I guess that, that disappoints me is Ed Miliband could have been spending years getting himself out there, doing what you might call soft media. There was a great interview with Nick Ferrari on Classic FM earlier yeah. this week. He did an interview with Absolute Radio, as well as being in some of these sort of high-pressure, high, highly-charged situations. Ed Miliband... He's quite a nice guy, and he's quite clever, very clever. But to be honest, so is David Cameron in a different way. And yet, he has allowed, over four and a half years, this idea to build up that he was weird. And whilst Ed Miliband is not random guy down the pub, nor is he weird. 
And actually, considering that was going to be the absolute cornerstone of the Tory campaign against him when this campaign started, it's great that he's managed to get past it. It's strange that Millie Fandom exists, especially with its new Millie Fandom movie. Um, But I slightly feel like he never should have been in that position in the first place. Yeah, I mean, he they the strategy has been wrong, I think, in many ways. You know, Ed kept trying to introduce himself to the country, and we kept sort of getting the sense that there was going to be a, a relaunch, a reintroduction, but it was always with a policy speech behind a lectern or possibly wandering without notes. But it was always done in that high, I'm a traditional politician kind of a way. And actually, what we've really seen in this campaign is that where people have stepped away from traditional politicking and actually done something a little bit more innovative, a little bit more interesting, just talked about something that's not you know, um, too heavily policy-focused, um, people are actually really responding to that. A friend of mine uh, said the most impressive thing he'd heard about in Miliband this campaign was that he'd completed Manic Minor. Yeah, I don't care what it takes to get them to vote for us, but <laughs> as long as that's what they're liking. Well, I... I, I... I, I honestly don't know anything about Manic Minor. I'm sorry if that makes anyone feel old. You have to be about 10 years older than yes, you, Mark, but to I, get to the end is a bloody impressive achievement. I remember Hungry Horace. Does that sound right? My dad had an old ZX. Horace goes skiing. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess this brings us to Ed Miliband's other big interview this week, one that was very heavily trailed and everyone wanted to talk about beforehand and everyone wanted to have an opinion on it. And then when it happened... It you know it was interesting enough, but it wasn't massively revelatory. Maya, what did you make of Millie Brand? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of speculation about whether he should or he shouldn't have done it. I think he was right to, but I found it quite difficult to to digest everything that was going on and being said. Um, and I find that uh, that's a bit of a problem with um, Russell Brand anyway. Is he has a go at politicians for not being that uh, easy to understand, and often I'm lost in his you know. Uh, quite flowery language, um, but yeah, it was it was fine. I don't think it. May, in, I think maybe it will have some kind of a positive effect for the people that follow um, brand. You know, uh, uh, beyond that, I don't really think there's much more to it. Emma, nearly nine hundred thousand people have watched it. I just checked before we started the podcast today. Do you think Ed Miliband's encounter with the Artful Dodger meets a thesaurus was a worthwhile experience? I think it was in some ways because where um, Ed and Russell have something in common is they they actually both quite like to think about the philosophy of politics rather than simply the shopping list of policies. So actually Ed got to do a bit more espousing, sort of thinking about the changing the way that the economy works rather than simply going, oh, well, well, we we won't cut your child tax credit. Um, So in some ways, for those people who are interested in that kind of big idea stuff, I mean, I've had nothing but positive feedback from people who are not necessarily Labour supporters on the left. Um, you know, they, they credit him with doing it and they credit him with having some interesting stuff to say. Whether they'll go out and vote Labour, I don't know, but we shall see. I, I, and I just don't think he did himself any harm. Um, and I do think that for Labour in particular, we have to be more imaginative about how we reach beyond the very traditional media. Um, Labour list has been a really big part of that, actually. Um, and so, you know, developing that that as a much more core to how we communicate with voters is essential. 
I think that's, that's interesting what you said about different kinds of media, because it does feel like this is the first election where a media strategy for a general election has included things like social media, has included mm. things that are outside of the just traditional what's going to be on the six o'clock news and what's yeah. going to be on the front page of the papers. That said, it does also feel like an election where the newspapers have, for whatever reason, tried to have as much impact as possible. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, though, this week. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks very much to both Emma and Maya for joining me on the podcast. Next week, Connor will be back, and Emma and Maya will also be joining me because we're going to be doing at least one podcast in the run-up to next week's general election. It's only a few days now. Thanks very much, everyone, and goodbye. <laughs>